All right, if you would take your Bible and turn for the last time for a little while, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When you get there, go to verse 25. Put your finger there. We're going to finish up. Yes, I said we're going to finish 1 Thessalonians, our series through. That's on page 1,359, if you're using that pew Bible right there in front of you. As I said, today we'll complete our sermon series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I went back and looked. This is our 13th sermon from this great book of the Bible. You know, we began... You know, Time passes fast. We began this journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians on July the 10th. That's crazy, seeing that today is now October the 16th. On that day, on July the 10th, I shared with you that there had been, in that week before July the 10th, that there had been eight earthquakes in our state. Now, if you were here on July the 10th, you heard me talk about the earthquakes in our state. Was anybody here on July the 10th? A bunch of people are embarrassed to say they were here. Their hands went up this high. There were a lot of you here on Sunday, July the 10th. Now, here we are 14 weeks later, and you're going, Jeff, we, we, we only did 13 sermons in 1 Thessalonians. Well, remember, we had a Gideon weekend in there um, as well, and then Tim Key came and spoke one week in in there as well. But here we are, all these 14, 15 weeks later, and I checked again this week. I went on to this website that I went to in July, and did you know that as of Thursday morning when I was writing this, that there had been another five earthquakes registered in the state of Tennessee just this week? Now, that was just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and through the time I checked it on Thursday morning, just this week. Now, Heath, I know you don't live there anymore, but there was an earthquake that was registered within 1.5 miles of Voronor, Tennessee. And uh, so, you know, it's amazing how the Lord just brings up your reminder to pray for people. Uh, but, you know, when I see an earthquake near where, you know, uh, somebody I love lives, you think about it. But it wasn't very big. But And we discussed about earthquakes on that day and on July the 10th. We discussed that each earthquake has two centers. One was the hypocenter. We talked about that. That hypocenter is the point beneath the Earth's surface where the shift or the release of energy begins underneath, and it begins and works its way to the surface. That is the hypocenter. And we also discussed that each earthquake has what is called an epicenter, that's the point on the Earth's surface where that earthquake emerges from underground. That the epicenter is directly above the hypocenter. So I'd like to, you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're there and your Bible's like mine, if you flip backwards one page, you'll get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I would like to read some scripture that I read on that day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me just pick up in verse 5. It's for, it says, um, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction 
with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and in Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Note that Paul then said that once we, they became followers of Christ, they received the Holy Spirit, they then became examples. Verse 8 says that they're examples and the word of God sounded forth, that their faith had gone out from verse 8. It said that they had been making a difference, that Jesus made a difference in their life. And because of that life-changing act of Jesus in their lives, their lives had therefore been lived differently, and that people around them, both close and far, saw their difference. And we ended up challenging ourselves on that morning both as individuals and as a body of believers. So let me just stop for just a second. Do you know that when we study God's word together, there is an individual application. There is something there for you that God wants you to allow him to apply to your life individually. But don't ever separate yourself from the body of Christ. For when we study God's word, not only is there an individual application there is a congregational, a corporate, a body of Christ application. And so we decided in that day that both as individuals and as a body of believers that we wanted our faith to also create that kind of impact in our community to where our lives would be so radically different because of Jesus that other people would see that difference and be drawn to Jesus. And if you'll recall, on that morning, we wanted to become an earthquake. We wanted Jesus to be our hypocenter, to do something in our lives that emerges out of us at our epicenter to make a difference. Now, that's the background that we head into today as we finish. So let's stand together. And read from the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read in chapter 5. And when we get there, we're going to read verses 25 through 28. 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, when you get to the end of 1 Thessalonians, you know what's right down here? 2 Thessalonians, you know. Pastor's mind can sometimes get a little sketchy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Picking up verse 25 says, Brethren... Pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk about that. This morning, we just read Paul's closing remarks to this powerful letter to the church. Scripture teaches us that all scripture is profitable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 7 tell us that, that all scripture is profitable. You know, it's interesting, the word all. You know what the word all means? Thank you. 
Tommy and I went to the same school. Our dictionary was very small. Every word had one meaning, and we just used that one word all the time. But Scripture teaches us that all Scripture is profitable. That means all. That means every word, even the words that Paul is saying at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that sounds like he's going, I hope you're doing well. See you later. Goodbye. God wouldn't let me get past this because all Scripture is valuable for us. Amen? And so we're not going to skip any of this, and we're going to talk about these verses. God has something for us, something for you individually, something for me individually, and something for us as a body of believers together through these closing remarks. Do you know that many times the last words of someone are many times their most important? or they're most profound, they're trying to leave that with you. Many times, people repeat things they had said earlier again to give them added emphasis. They bring home a true point. But you know what? Many times, the last words of a letter, the last words of an email, the last words of anything, we skip over. And it's interesting. What could be the most important thing that you need to hear today, if you're not careful, we will discount it and think, well, this is just Paul saying, I'll talk to you later. Please don't do that. We don't want to miss anything God desires for us because all Scripture is profitable. Verse 25, Paul says, brethren, pray for us. Paul is calling on the brethren. He's calling for those who know Jesus as their Savior, those that are part of the body of Christ. He's calling on them, all of them, and he says it again, to pray for us. Us. This is a request for the Christians that Paul was writing to in the local church to pray for Paul and Timothy and Silas. And if you've studied your first Thessalonians and you read it, Silas is also called Silvanus. And Paul, when he says pray for us, he's saying pray for me and pray for Timothy and pray for Silas. I think Paul is calling the Christians in the local church to do what they, Paul, Timothy, and Silas had already been doing. I love that 1 Thessalonians is such a short book because now I can ask you to turn that page backwards again. Go to chapter 1 for just a second. When you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, just look at verse 2 and 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 says, this is Paul writing, he says, and recognize up in verse 1, it starts with Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. But verse 2 goes on and says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Paul is saying, brethren, pray for us. But what Paul has already told them just a few verses ago is, we are praying for you. He says, pray for us. He says, when we pray for you, we're thankful always, mentioning you, remembering your work of faith, love, and hope. Do you know that praying for one another is God telling us what we should be doing for each other? 
pray for one another. It's an amazing need. If we stopped right now and passed out little pieces of paper and pen and said, if you have a prayer need in your life, write it down, fold it into a square, and put it in the basket. At the end of the service, I'm going to get them, and we're going to, I'm going to pray for them. Do you know there would be a lot? Each of us would be able to write something down. All of us carry a need in our lives. All of us need to be prayed for. I pray for you, my church family, often. Systematically, I pray through the role. I pray through the church directory. I pray for classes. I pray for those members of those classes. I pray for you often. God has placed it on my heart, and I don't do it out of a sense of obligation. I do it because I get to. Every time God lays you specifically on my heart, I try to be obedient and stop and pray for you. I may not even know specifically what the need is, but I trust that God does. Pray for you. I mentioned to you that last Saturday I prayed for you as a church body in week tw- in mile 12 of the half marathon I ran last Saturday. Mile 12. I'll tell you, toward the end of a race, you got more prayer time than the people on mile one and two. Mile 12, you got some of the longest prayer time. The only mile that got more prayer time was my praise mile, which was mile 13. But I pray for you. If you're here for the very first time, I've not met you yet. But I pray for you in advance that God will bring new faces New people needing a church home, but more importantly, people who need to settle in with Jesus. I pray for you. I pray for our staff. I pray for our leaders. I pray for you. And it's not something that I feel I have to do. It's something that I get to do. It's amazing how God just calls us in to pray for each other. If you recall, in May of 2014, and the church has grown a lot and changed a lot in these eight and a half years, but in May of 2014, some of you have been here a while. We met in the fellowship hall on a Sunday night. I passed out construction paper hands. Anybody remember? Some of you have got your construction paper hand. You brought it to me last time I mentioned it. But we got together, and we said one of the foundations that we were going to build upon in the ministry that I believe God's calling us to do is we were going to pray for each other. It's a biblical requirement, calling, privilege, and joy to pray for each other. And it's become one of the reasons I think that we are unified is because we pray for each other. Wednesday nights, we have a list of hundreds of names on it that we pass out. Many of you are here. Not all of you are. I would love to invite you to come as we pray together on Wednesday nights and have Bible study. But in May of 2014, we did that. And, we tried. and remember one of the things we said, People come to us all the time and they say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And our answer was, yes, we will. But can we start by praying for you now? Church, don't miss an opportunity 
to pray for somebody. And Paul says, pray for us. We are biblically called to pray for one another. And so church, I ask you to pray for me. I need it. You guys have known me for 25 years. You know I need your prayers. I read about people failing and falling and just walking away from their faith. It is so challenging. And I just have a desire. Somebody sent me a card this week. And it touched me, and I'm going to try not to look them in the eye, but they sent me this card, and they said, you inspire us to seek God more. Now, the reality is, is that do you know what happens if you don't pray for me? If I don't stay locked into God's word, I can become like any number of people we've read about, heard about, and pray I don't become. And that's somebody who falls. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're going, pray for us. Church, I ask you to pray for me. My greatest desire is to serve the Lord faithfully every day he gives me. And I love that he has to this point, and I look forward to doing it even more, just in case you want to know, what are my plans for the future? My plans for the future are to be the pastor of First Baptist Church as long as the Lord will allow me to be. And I pray that the next pastor you have is the one who does my funeral. If you're going, okay, Jeff sounds like he could be committed to us. Are you committed to me? Look right and left, backwards and forwards. Are you committed to these people? Paul says, Pray for us. I pray that the gospel earthquake will rise up out of us being obedient in prayer. Paul goes on in verse 26 and he says, greet all the brethren. Church, can I tell you, I love you. And because I love you, I desire to be with you. And because I desire to be with you, I want to spend time with you. And Paul is not, not only calling on the church to be loving toward one another, he is encouraging the church to be openly loving toward one another. We should light up when we see each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are bound by the blood of Jesus. We are called to a purpose. We need each other. And if you're praying for each other, when you see that person you're praying for, when you get a chance to talk with them, you will love them more. Paul says, greet each other. He's encouraging the church. And you know what happens when the people of God pray for each other and then the people of God openly desire to be together and love each other. Do you know what the outside world sees? 
love and unity. And in a word, what they see is Jesus. And Paul is saying, pray for us, but also be together. You know, you can't greet people that you're never around. You're going, Jeff, I missed two weeks in Sunday school and you're sending me a text message. You're reaching out to me. You don't see me in three weeks, you reach out to me. You know what? I love you. And you not being here means that I need to know something so I can pray for you. Or I need to help in some way because I want to see you here. Church, it matters whether you're here or not. Does it matter for Jeff's ministry? No. Does it matter to the numbers of this church? No. What it matters for is when you are here, you can be biblically in line with what God wants for you, and that is greeting one another in love, coming together in love. You could be going, Jeff, that's so obvious. Yeah? But here's my question to obvious. Are you doing it? Do you love the people around you? Do you seek out new faces to love them, to greet them? Do you want to be here and be around? Do you know, if we're not greeting each other, loving to be around each other and doing that, then that means that we're typically staying away from each other, fighting each other, not being unified by the blood of Jesus, and what the world sees there is not Jesus. And Paul, he's got a recipe here. He says, listen, church, we've talked about a lot of great stuff, but if you don't pray for each other and if you don't love and want to be around each other and come together, it's not going to matter. Spending time with one another is important. Amen, church? Spending time with one another is important. We get to spend time with each other every Sunday morning at 10, but that's not the only time. You're going, well, this is when he asks us to do more. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. God already has. I just get to stand here and be a conduit. You need to be praying, you need to be loving, you need to be here. Zach's on this side this morning. Zach, we're having fall praise tonight at five. You know what that means, church? We get to be together again. And I hope that you're here. We will not be as strong of a church body if you are not here. And then after that, we're having a fellowship. Now, we didn't ask you to tell us you were coming. I'm just banking on you coming. I've worked with Joe. We got food everywhere. I do not want to eat it all next week. <laughs> so you need to be here. And let me make you a, here's the challenge, because I knew I was getting ready to invite everybody to this because of God's word perfectly timing out with fall praise in this fellowship event. Do you know that here's my goal? And I said it on Wednesday night in Bible study and prayer meeting. I hope that there's 300 or more of us we're preparing for you to be here tonight. And I hope that everybody from the moment we end this 
fall praise to the fellowship. I hope that everybody is sitting down, fellowshipping and eating together in 15 minutes. You laughers are the people standing in line for 45 minutes waiting your turn, aren't you? Hey, you want to see something? We're going to do it tonight. You're going, sounds like a challenge. Yeah, it is. I've challenged Joe. He tried to talk me out of it. I said, no, Joe. I think we can do it. Now all we need is 300 or more of you to come and see if we can. I look forward to you being here tonight. Fellowship time in small groups, Sunday school, worship, prayer times, doing things outside of church locations or times. Fellowship shows a genuine bond. Do you know one of the greatest things that does my heart good is when I find out through just conversation that you guys are doing stuff with each other that I didn't have to plan. Sort of like a parent that realizes, hey, my kids, they're doing it. What we taught them, we're doing it. They're doing it. You guys get that, right? Keep investing in each other. You know, Tony Evans said this. He said, God created churches so that you would not have to be a Christian alone. I, for one, am glad. I've shared with you that when I first got into the ministry and first started preaching, I stood in here on Thursday afternoons and preached to no one. I've learned over these years, it's more fun when you're here when I'm preaching than when I'm preaching alone. Paul goes on in verse 27, he says, I charge you that this epistle be read to all the church. You know what God is saying? Paul is saying that what God has provided to us to write down and send to you is necessary, is powerful, and life-changing. But do you know that what we've read in the book of 1 Thessalonians is only good if we read it and apply it? to our lives. Paul does not encourage them to share this with other people. If you go and look at the word, Paul is commanding them, I charge you to share this. I mentioned this is our 13th and final sermon. And I'm going, what's Paul really all worked up that people hear about? Well, I just went back and I just pulled one statement out of each of the 12 sermons before that. And it'll happen that quickly. Don't fret. Week one, Scripture is for both personal and church body application. Week two, one statement is, nothing you do in the name of the gospel is ever done in vain. You guys remember that sermon? My 25-year-ago friends? Week three, Jesus is coming again. Church, can I tell you that Paul mentions it Five times in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Jesus is coming back. Amen? You guys are excited, aren't you? He's coming back. Week four, you will face afflictions when faithful, but you can have victory. We learned that. Paul says, I want the other people to hear this. Week five, we are called to walk properly before those who do not yet know Jesus. Makes sense. Week six, those who die with faith in Jesus didn't die. They just go to be with the Lord. Amen? 
Week seven, we must live in light of the imminent return of Jesus. Do you see that? Two weeks out of four, Jesus is coming back, and we must live in a manner that tells the world he's coming. Week eight, we must take time to recognize the faithful and serving amongst us. You guys remember that week, right? Week nine, we are to warn those who are unruly and charge them to be productive. Week 10, we must always rejoice, pray without ceasing, and be thankful in all things. Week 11, allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. Week 12, hold fast what is good, abstain from what is evil. And Paul says, I charge you that you allow people in the church to hear this word from God. For centuries, since God led Paul to write this letter, God has continued to have a message for his people. We cannot allow this message of 1 Thessalonians to stop with us. We must share it. You've learned a great deal. You've been challenged a great deal as we've walked through these 13 sermons together. Now it's time for you to tell other people about it. So what Paul says in these verses is, pray, fellowship, and hold on to the word. Pray, fellowship, and hold on to the word. If you want to turn with me, you can. Acts chapter 2. God laid this on my heart as I was studying. Acts chapter 2. It's when Pentecost happens. It's when the Holy Spirit arrives, it's when Peter preaches, and it's when the church is born. When you get to Acts chapter 2, it's on page 1254 of the Pew Bible, if you're using that, just let me read verses 36 to 47. Now, Paul didn't write the book of Acts. Luke did. Acts chapter 2, picking up verse 36, says... Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now keep going. Verse 41. Then those were who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly, catch this church, in the apostles' doctrine, that would be the word of God, in fellowship, that would be being together, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, there's about 14 sermons right there. 
But I just want to remind you that the church was based upon the Word of God, fellowship, and prayer. And it said that when these that believed in Christ made those three things a daily activity, that the community fell in love with them. That community became curious of what bound them together and that the Lord added to the church people on a daily basis. That's a big deal. Church, that sounds like an earthquake of influence that happened in the church. An earthquake. You know, we can see this again. If we will just fully submit to God, I want to see that. I want to see the hypocenter of Jesus become so powerful in our lives that we allow ourselves to become the epicenter where he comes out and it impacts the area that he's placed us in. I want that for me. I want that for you. But we must be driven that it's not what we want that matters. This is God's will for us. This is God's purpose for us and the lives of many, those that will be added to the church daily. You know, if we don't see that happen, they won't come to know the Lord. And Paul closes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 28. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Church, it is only by the grace of God that we can become all that God desires for us to be. Amen? Pray, fellowship, hold the scripture. God is good. You know, it's an interesting, I, I was uh, in another city earlier this week, and I was walking with a man on a sidewalk, and we were walking fairly slow because he was using a walker. And he said, let me ask you. He said, are you experiencing growth in your church? And I said, you know, I'm an optimistic guy by nature. I think so. I don't know, church, are we growing? I'd like to think that we are. I'd like to think that we're growing in number. But you know, the way you grow in number is to grow in spiritual maturity first. And I just want to encourage us. Do you want to see God do something big? Pray. Fellowship. Hold on tight to the word. Acts was effective. Thessalonians, it was effective. First Baptist Church, it'll be effective. Amen?